0: Section twenty seven of Young Folk's Treasury, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Ingle. Young Folk's Treasury, Volume Two. Edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe A Myth of America. Section twenty seven Hiawatha adapted from H. R. Schoolcraft's version Hiawatha was living with his grandmother near the edge of a wide prairie on this prairie he first saw animals and birds of every kind he there also saw exhibitions of divine power in the sweeping tempests in the thunder and lightning and the various shades of light and darkness which form a never-ending scene for observation every new sight he beheld in the heavens was a subject of remark every new animal or bird an object of deep interest and every sound uttered by the animal creation a new lesson which he was expected to learn he often trembled at what he heard and saw to this scene his grandmother sent him at an early age to watch the first sound he heard was that of an owl at which he was greatly terrified and quickly descended the tree he had climbed. He ran with alarm to the lodge. "'Noko! Noko! Grandma!' he cried. "'I have heard a momendo!' She laughed at his fears, and asked him what kind of a noise it made. He answered, "'It makes a noise like this ko 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 ho She told him that he was young and foolish, that what he had heard was only a bird, deriving its name from the noise it made.' He went back and continued his watch. While there he thought to himself, It is singular that I am so simple, and my grandmother is so wise, and that I have neither father nor mother. I have never heard a word about them. I must ask and find out. He went home and sat down silent and dejected. At length his grandmother asked him, Hiawatha, what is the matter with you? He answered, I wish you would tell me whether I have any parents living, and who my relatives are." Knowing that he was of a wicked and revengeful disposition, she dreaded telling him the story of his parentage, but he insisted on her compliance. "'Yes,' she said, "'you have a father and three brothers living. Your mother is dead. She was taken without the consent of her parents by your father, the West. Your brothers are the North, East, and South. AND BEING OLDER THAN YOURSELF, YOUR FATHER HAS GIVEN THEM GREAT POWER WITH THE winds, ACCORDING TO THEIR NAMES. YOU ARE THE YOUNGEST OF HIS CHILDREN. I HAVE NOURISHED YOU FROM YOUR INFANCY. FOR YOUR MOTHER DIED IN GIVING YOU BIRTH, owing TO THE ILL TREATMENT OF YOUR FATHER. I HAVE NO RELATIONS BESIDES YOU THIS SIDE OF THE PLANET ON WHICH I WAS BORN, AND FROM WHICH I WAS PRECIPITATED BY FEMALE JEALOUSY. YOUR MOTHER WAS MY ONLY CHILD, AND YOU ARE MY ONLY HOPE. He appeared to be rejoiced to hear that his father was living, for he had already thought in his heart to try and kill him. He told his grandmother he should set out in the morning to visit him. She said it was a long distance to the place where the West lived. But that had no effect to stop him, for he had now attained manhood, possessed a giant's height, and was endowed by nature with a giant's strength and power. He set out and soon reached the place for every step he took covered a large surface of ground. The meeting took place on a high mountain in the west. His father appeared very happy to see him. They spent some days in talking with each other. One evening Hiawatha asked his father what he was most afraid of on earth. He replied, "'Nothing.' "'But is there not something you dread here? Tell me.' At last his father said, yielding, "'Yes?' there is a black stone found in such a place. It is the only earthly thing I am afraid of, for if it should hit me or any part of my body, it would injure me very much. He said this as a secret, and in return asked his son the same question. Knowing each other's power, although the son's was limited, the father feared him on account of his great strength. Hiawatha answered, nothing, intending to avoid the question, or to refer to some harmless object as the one of which he was afraid. He was asked again, and again, and answered nothing. But the West said, There must be something you are afraid of. Well, I will tell you, said Hiawatha, what it is. But before he would pronounce the word, he affected great dread. Lee, Lee, it is... "'It is,' said he. "'Yow! "'Yow! "'I cannot name it. "'I am seized with a dread.' "'The West told him to banish his fears. "'He commenced again, "'in a strain of mock sensitiveness, "'repeating the same words. "'At last he cried out, "'It is the root of the bulrush!' "'He appeared to be exhausted "'by the effort of pronouncing the word, "'and all this skilfully acting "'a studied part. "'Some time after he observed,' I will get some of the black rock.' The West said, "'Far be it from you. Do not do so, my son.' He still persisted. "'Well,' said the father, "'I will also get the bulrush root.' Hiawatha immediately cried out, "'Do not! Do not!' Affecting as before to be in great dread of it, but really wishing by this course to urge on the West to procure it, that he might draw him into combat. He went out and got a large piece of the black rock, and brought it home. The West also took care to bring the dreaded root. In the course of conversation he asked his father whether he had been the cause of his mother's death. The answer was, yes. He then took up the rock and struck him. Blow led to blow, and here commenced an obstinate and furious combat which continued several days. Fragments of the rock broken off under Hiawatha's blows can be seen in various places to this day. The route did not prove as mortal a weapon as his well-acted fears had led his father to expect, although he suffered severely from the blows. This battle commenced on the mountains. The West was forced to give ground. Hiawatha drove him across rivers and over mountains and lakes, and at last he came to the brink of this world. "'Hold!' cried he. "'My son!' YOU KNOW MY POWER, AND THAT IT IS IMPOSSIBLE TO KILL ME. DESIST, AND I WILL ALSO PORTION YOU OUT WITH AS MUCH POWER AS YOUR BROTHERS. THE FOUR QUARTERS OF THE GLOBE ARE ALREADY OCCUPIED, BUT YOU CAN GO AND DO A GREAT DEAL OF GOOD TO THE PEOPLE OF THIS EARTH, WHICH IS INFESTED WITH LARGE SERPENTS, BEASTS, AND MONSTERS, WHO MAKE GREAT havoc AMONG THE INHABITANTS. GO AND DO GOOD. YOU HAVE THE POWER NOW TO DO SO and your fame with the beings of this earth will last for ever. When you have finished your work, I will have a place provided for you. You will then go and sit with your brother in the north. Hiawatha was pacified. He returned to his lodge, where he was confined by the wounds he had received. But owing to his grandmother's skill in medicine, he was soon recovered. She told him that his grandfather, who had come to the earth in search of her, had been killed by Megasaguans who lived on the opposite side of the lake. "'When he was alive,' she continued, "'I was never without oil to put on my head. "'But now my hair is fast falling off for the want of it.' "'Well,' said he, "'Noko, get cedar bark and make me a line, "'while I make a canoe.' "'When all was ready, "'he went out to the middle of the lake to fish. "'He put his line down, saying, Shinamagwai, the name of the kingfish.' Take hold of my bait. He kept repeating this for some time. At last the King of Fishes said Hiawatha troubles me. Here, trout, take hold of his line, which was very heavy so that his canoe stood nearly perpendicular. But he kept crying out Wah Wai till he could see the trout. As soon as he saw him he spoke to him Why did you take hold of my hook? Shame shame you ugly fish the trout, being thus rebuked, let go. Hiawatha put his line again in the water, saying, "'King of fishes, take hold of my line!' But the king of fishes told a monstrous sunfish to take hold of it, for Hiawatha was tiring him with his incessant calls. He again drew up his line with difficulty, saying, as before, "'Waihi! Waihi!' while his canoe was turning in swift circles. When he saw the sunfish, he cried, "'Shame!' "'Shame, you odious fish! Why did you dirty my hook by taking it in your mouth?' "'Let go, I say, let go!' The sunfish did so, and told the king of fishes what Hiawatha said. Just at that moment the bait came near the king, and hearing Hiawatha continually crying out, "'Mishinamagwai, take hold of my hook!' At last he did so, and allowed himself to be drawn up to the surface." which he had no sooner reached than at one mouthful he took Hiawatha and his canoe down. When he came to himself he found that he was in the fish's belly, and also his canoe. He now turned his thoughts to the way of making his escape. Looking in his canoe he saw his war-club, with which he immediately struck the heart of the fish. He then felt a sudden motion, as if he were moving with great velocity. The fish observed to the others, I am sick at stomach for having swallowed this dirty fellow Hiawatha." Just at this moment he received another severe blow on the heart. Hiawatha thought, If I am thrown up in the middle of the lake, I shall be drowned, so I must prevent it. He drew his canoe and placed it across the fish's throat, and just as he had finished, the fish commenced vomiting, but to no effect. In this he was aided by a squirrel who had accompanied him unperceived until that moment. This animal had taken an active part in helping him to place his canoe across the fish's throat. For this act he named him, saying, For the future, boys shall always call you Ajidamo, or Upside Down. He then renewed his attack upon the fish's heart, and succeeded, by repeated blows, in killing him, which he first knew by the loss of motion and by the sound of the beating of the body against the shore. He waited a day longer to see what would happen. He heard birds scratching on the body, and all at once the rays of light broke in. He could see the heads of the gulls, who were looking in by the opening they had made. "'Oh!' cried Hiawatha, "'my younger brothers, make the opening larger, so that I can get out.' They told each other that their brother Hiawatha was inside of the fish." They immediately set about enlarging the orifice, and in a short time liberated him. After he got out, he said to the gulls, "'For the future you shall be called Kayoshk, or Noble Scratchers.' The spot where the fish happened to be driven ashore was near his lodge. He went up and told his grandmother to go and prepare as much oil as she wanted. All besides, he informed her, he should keep for himself.' some time after this he commenced making preparations for a war excursion against the pearl feather the manito who lived on the opposite side of the great lake who had killed his grandfather the abode of his spirit was defended first by fiery serpents who hissed fire so that no one could pass them and in the second place by a large mass of gummy matter lying on the water so soft and adhesive that whoever attempted to pass, or whatever came in contact with it, was sure to stick there. He continued making bows and arrows without number, but he had no heads for his arrows. At last Noko told him that an old man who lived at some distance could make them. He sent her to get some. She soon returned with her konas, or wrapper, full. Still he told her that he had not enough, and sent her again. She returned with as many more he thought to himself, I must find out the way of making these heads. Cunning and curiosity prompted him to make the discovery, but he deemed it necessary to deceive his grandmother in so doing. Noko, said he, while I take my drum and rattle and sing my war songs, go and try to get me some larger heads for my arrows. For those you brought me are all of the same size. Go and see whether the old man cannot make some a little larger." He followed her as she went, keeping at a distance, and saw the old artificer at work, and so discovered his process. He also beheld the old man's daughter, and perceived that she was very beautiful. He felt his breast beat with a new emotion, but said nothing. He took care to get home before his grandmother, and commenced singing as if he had never left his lodge. When the old woman came near, she heard his drum and rattle, without any suspicion that he had followed her. She delivered him the arrowheads. One evening the old woman said, My son, you ought to fast before you go to war, as your brothers frequently do, to find out whether you will be successful or not. He said he had no objection, and immediately commenced a fast for several days. He would retire every day from the lodge, so far as to be out of the reach of his grandmother's voice. After having finished his term of fasting and sung his war song from which the Indians of the present day derive their custom, he embarked in his canoe, fully prepared for war. In addition to the usual implements, he had a plentiful supply of oil. He traveled rapidly day and night, for he had only to will or speak, and the canoe went. At length he arrived in sight of the fiery serpents. He stopped to view them. He saw they were some distance apart, and that the flame only which issued from them reached across the pass. He commenced talking as a friend to them, but they answered, We know you, Hiawatha, you cannot pass. He then thought of some expedient to deceive them, and hit upon this. He pushed his canoe as near as possible. All at once he cried out, with a loud and terrified voice, What is that behind you? The serpents instantly turned their heads when, at a single word, he passed them. "'Well,' said he, placidly, after he had got by, "'how do you like my exploit?' He then took up his bows and arrows, and with deliberate aim shot them, which was easily done, for the serpents were stationary, and could not move beyond a certain spot. They were of enormous length, and of a bright color. Having overcome the sentinel serpents— he went on in his magic canoe till he came to a soft, gummy portion of the lake, called pigu wakumi, or pitch water. He took the oil and rubbed it on his canoe, and then pushed into it. The oil softened the surface and enabled him to slip through it with ease, although it required frequent rubbing and a constant reapplication of the oil. Just as his oil failed, he extricated himself from this impediment and was the first person who ever succeeded in overcoming it. He now came in view of land, on which he debarked in safety, and could see the lodge of the shining Manitou situated on a hill. He commenced preparing for the fight, putting his arrows and clubs in order. And just at the dawn of day began his attack, yelling and shouting and crying with triple voices, "'Surround him! Surround him! Run up! Run up!' making it appear that he had many followers." He advanced, crying out, It was you that killed my grandfather! And with this shot his arrows. The combat continued all day. Hiawatha's arrows had no effect, for his antagonist was clothed with pure wampum. He was now reduced to three arrows, and it was only by extraordinary agility that he could escape the blows which the Manitou kept making at him. At that moment, a large woodpecker, the mama flew past, and lit on a tree. "'Hiawatha!' he cried. "'Your adversary has a vulnerable point. Shoot at the lock of hair on the crown of his head!' He shot his first arrow, so as only to draw blood from that part. The manito made one or two unsteady steps, but recovered himself. He began to parley, but, in the act, received a second arrow, which brought him to his knees. But he again recovered. In so doing, however— he exposed his head and gave his adversary a chance to fire his third arrow, which penetrated deep, and brought him a lifeless corpse to the ground. Hiawatha uttered his sasaquan, and taking his scalp as a trophy he called the woodpecker to come and receive a reward for his information. He took the blood of the manitou and rubbed it on the woodpecker's head, the feathers of which are red to this day. After this victory he returned home, SINGING SONGS OF TRIUMPH AND BEATING HIS DRUM. WHEN HIS GRANDMOTHER HEARD HIM, SHE CAME TO THE SHORE AND WELCOMED HIM WITH SONGS AND DANCING. GLORY FIRED HIS MIND. HE DISPLAYED THE TROPHIES HE HAD BROUGHT IN THE MOST CONSPICUOUS MANNER AND FELT AN UNCONQUERABLE DESIRE FOR OTHER ADVENTURES. HE FELT HIMSELF URGED BY THE CONSCIOUSNESS OF HIS POWER TO NEW TRIALS OF BRAVERY, SKILL, AND NECROMANTIC prowess. HE HAD DESTROYED THE MANITO OF WEALTH, And killed his guardian serpents, and eluded all his charms. He did not long remain inactive. His next adventure was upon the water, and proved him the prince of fishermen. He captured a fish of such a monstrous size that the fat and oil he obtained from it formed a small lake. He therefore invited all the animals and fowls to a banquet, and he made the order in which they partook of this repast, the measure of their fatness. As fast as they arrived, he told them to plunge in. The bear came first, and was followed by the deer, a possum, and such other animals as are noted for their peculiar fatness at certain seasons. The moose and bison came tardily. The partridge looked on till the reservoir was nearly exhausted. The hare and marten came last, and these animals have consequently no fat. When this ceremony was over, he told the assembled animals and birds, to dance, taking up his drum and crying, New songs from the South! Come, brothers, dance! He directed them to pass in a circle around him, and to shut their eyes. They did so. When he saw a fat fowl pass by him, he adroitly wrung off its head, at the same time beating his drum and singing with greater vehemence, to drown the noise of the fluttering and crying out, in a tone of admiration. THAT'S THE WAY, MY BROTHERS, THAT'S THE WAY. At last a small duck, the diver, thinking there was something wrong, opened one eye and saw what he was doing. Giving a spring and crying, HA-HA, Hiawatha is killing us, he made for the water. Hiawatha followed him, and, just as the duck was getting into the water, gave him a kick, which is the cause of his back being flattened and his legs being straightened out backward, so that when he gets on land he cannot walk and his tail feathers are few. Meantime the other birds flew off, and the animals ran into the woods. After this, Hiawatha set out to travel. He wished to outdo all others, and to see new countries. But after walking over America, and encountering many adventures, he became satisfied as well as fatigued. He had heard of great feats in hunting, and felt a desire to try his power in that way. One evening, as he was walking along the shores of a great lake, weary and hungry, he encountered a great magician in the form of an old wolf with six young ones coming towards him. The wolf, as soon as he saw him, told his whelps to keep out of the way of Hiawatha. For I know, continued he, that it is he we see yonder. The young wolves were in the act of running off when Hiawatha cried out, My grandchildren, where are you going? Stop, and I will go with you. He appeared rejoiced to see the old wolf, and asked him whither he was journeying. Being told that they were looking for a place where they could find most game, and where they might pass the winter, he said he would like to go with them, and addressed the old wolf in the following words. "'Brother, I have a passion for the chase. Are you willing to change me into a wolf?' He was answered favorably, and his transformation immediately effected. Hiawatha was fond of novelty. He found himself a wolf corresponding in size with the others, but he was not quite satisfied with the change, crying out, "'Oh, make me a little larger!' They did so. "'A little larger still!' he exclaimed. They said, "'Let us humor him,' and granted his request. "'Well,' he said, "'that will do.' He looked at his tail. "'Oh!' cried he. "'Do make my tail a little longer and more bushy.' They did so they then all started off in company, dashing up a ravine. After getting into the woods some distance, they fell in with the tracks of moose. The young ones went after them, Hiawatha and the old wolf following at their leisure. Well, said the wolf, whom do you think is the fastest of the boys? Can you tell by the jumps they take? Why, he replied, that one that takes such long jumps, he is the fastest, to be sure. (laughs) Ha, ha, "'You are mistaken,' said the old wolf. "'He makes a good start, but he will be the first to tire out. "'This one who appears to be behind will be the one to kill the game.' They then came to the place where the boys had started in chase. One had dropped his small bundle. "'Take that, Hiawatha,' said the old wolf. "Asa," he replied, "'what will I do with the dirty dog skin?" The wolf took it up. It was a beautiful robe.' "'Oh, I will carry it now,' said Hiawatha. "'Oh, no,' replied the wolf, who, at the moment, exerted his magic power. "'It is a robe of pearls.' And from this moment he omitted no occasion to display his superiority, both in the art of the hunter and the magician, above his conceited companion. Coming to a place where the moose had lain down, they saw that the young wolves had made a fresh start after their prey. "'Why,' said the wolf, This moose is poor. I know by the tracks, for I can always tell whether they are fat or not." They next came to a place where one of the wolves had bit at the moose, and had broken one of his teeth on a tree. "'Hiawatha,' said the wolf, "'one of your grandchildren has shot at the game. Take his arrow. There it is.' "'No,' he replied. "'What will I do with a dirty dog's tooth?' The old wolf took it up, and behold, it was a beautiful silver arrow. When they overtook the youngsters, they had killed a very fat moose. Hiawatha was extremely hungry, but alas, such is the power of enchantment. He saw nothing but the bones picked quite clean. He thought to himself, just as I expected, dirty, greedy fellows. However, he sat down without saying a word. At length the old wolf spoke to one of the young ones, saying, Give some meat to your grandfather. One of them obeyed and, coming near to Hiawatha, opened his mouth as if he was about to snarl. Hiawatha jumped up, saying, You filthy dog! You have eaten so much that your stomach refuses to hold it. Get you gone into some other place! The old wolf, hearing the abuse, went a little to one side to see, and behold, a heap of fresh, ruddy meat, with the fat line already prepared. He was followed by Hiawatha, who— Having the enchantment instantly removed, put on a smiling face. "'Amazement!' said he. "'How fine the meat is!' "'Yes,' replied the wolf. "'It is always so with us. "'We know our work, and always get the best. "'It is not a long tail that makes a hunter.' Hiawatha bit his lip. They then commenced fixing their winter quarters, while the youngsters went out in search of game, and soon brought in a large supply." One day, during the absence of the young wolves, the old one amused himself in cracking the large bones of a moose. "'Hiawatha,' said he, "'cover your head with a robe, and do not look at me while I am at these bones, for a piece may fly in your eye.' He did as he was told, but, looking through a rent that was in the robe, he saw what the other was about. Just at that moment a piece flew off and hit him on the eye. He cried out, "Tiao!" Why do you strike me, you old dog?" The wolf said, "'You must have been looking at me.' But deception commonly leads to falsehood. "'No, no,' he said. Why should I want to look at you?" "'Hiawatha,' said the wolf, "'you must have been looking, or you would not have been hurt.' "'No, no,' he replied again. I was not. I will repay the saucy wolf this," thought he to himself. So, next day, taking up a bone to obtain the marrow, he said to the wolf, "'Cover your head and don't look at me, for I fear a piece may fly in your eye.' The wolf did so. He then took the leg-bone of the moose, and looking first to see if the wolf was well covered, he hit him a blow with all his might. The wolf jumped up, cried out, and fell prostrate from the effects of the blow. "'Why,' said he, "'do you strike me so?' "'Strike you?' he replied. "'No, you must have been looking at me.' "'No,' answered the wolf. "'I say I have not.' But he persisted in the assertion, and the poor magician had to give up. Hiawatha was an expert hunter when he earnestly tried to be. He went out one day and killed a fat moose. He was very hungry and sat down to eat. But immediately he fell into great doubts as to the proper point to begin. "'Well,' said he— I do not know where to begin. At the head? No. People will laugh and say he ate him backwards. He went to the side. No, said he. They will say I ate him sideways. He then went to the hind-quarter. No, said he. They will say I ate him toward the head. I will begin here. Say what they will. He took a delicate piece from the rump, and was just ready to put it in his mouth, when a tree close by made a creaking sound caused by the rubbing of one large branch against another this annoyed him why he exclaimed i cannot eat while i hear such a noise stop stop said he to the tree he was putting the morsel again to his mouth when the noise was repeated he put it down exclaiming i cannot eat in such confusion and immediately left the meat although very hungry to go and put a stop to the racket. He climbed the tree, and was pulling at the limb, when his arm was caught between two branches, so that he could not extricate himself. While thus held fast, he saw a pack of wolves coming in the direction towards his meat. "'Go that way! Go that way!' he cried out. "'Why do you come here?' The wolves talked among themselves, and said, "'Iowatha must have something here, or he would not tell us to go another way.' I begin to know him," said an old wolf, and all his tricks. Let us go forward and see. They came on, and finding the moose, soon made away with the whole carcass. Hiawatha looked on wistfully to see them eat till they were fully satisfied, and they left him nothing but the bare bones. The next heavy blast of wind opened the branches and liberated him. He went home, thinking to himself, see the effect of meddling with frivolous things when I already had valuable possessions." Next day the old wolf addressed him thus. "'My brother, I am going to separate from you, but I will leave behind me one of the young wolves to be your hunter.' He then departed. In this act Hiawatha was disenchanted and again resumed his mortal shape. He was sorrowful and dejected, but soon resumed his wonted air of cheerfulness. The young wolf that was left with him was a good hunter, and never failed to keep the lodge well supplied with meat. One day he addressed him as follows. My grandson, I had a dream last night, and it does not portend good. It is of the large lake which lies in that direction. You must be careful never to cross it, even if the ice should appear good. If you come to it at night, weary or hungry, you must make the circuit of it." Spring commenced, and the snow was melting fast before the rays of the sun, when one evening the wolf came to the lake, weary with the day's chase. He disliked the journey of making its circuit. "'Hoo!' he exclaimed. "'There can be no great harm in trying the ice, as it appears to be sound. Nisho, my grandfather, is overcautious on this point.' He had gone but halfway across when the ice gave way, and falling in he was immediately seized by the serpent's who, knowing he was Hiawatha's grandson, were thirsting for revenge upon him. Meanwhile, Hiawatha sat pensively in his lodge. Night came on, but no grandson returned. The second and third night passed, but he did not appear. Hiawatha became very desolate and sorrowful. Ah, said he, he must have disobeyed me and lost his life in that lake I told him of. Well, said he at last, I must mourn for him. So he took coal and blackened his face. But he was much perplexed as to the right mode of mourning. I wonder, said he, how I must do it. I will cry, Oh, my grandson! Oh, my grandson! He burst out laughing. No, no, that won't do. I will try. Oh, my heart! Oh, my heart! Ha ha ha! That won't do either. I will cry. "'Oh, my drowned grandson!' This satisfied him, and he remained in his lodge and fasted till his days of mourning were over. Now,' said he, "'I will go in search of him.' He set out and travelled till he came to the great lake. He then raised the lamentation for his grandson which had pleased him, sitting down near a small brook that emptied itself into the lake and repeating his cries. Soon a bird called Kishimunisi came near to him. The bird inquired, What are you doing here? Nothing, Hiawatha replied. But can you tell me whether anyone lives in this lake, and what brings you here yourself? Yes, responded the bird. "The prince of serpents lives here, and I am watching to see whether the body of Hiawatha's grandson will not drift ashore, for he was killed by the serpents last spring. But— "'Are you not Hiawatha himself?' "'No,' was the reply, with his usual deceit. "'How do you think he could get to this place? "'But tell me, do the serpents ever appear? "'When? "'Where? "'Tell me all about their habits.' "'Do you see that beautiful white sandy beach?' said the bird. "'Yes,' he answered. "'It is there,' continued the bird, "'that they bask in the sun. "'Before they come out, the lake will appear perfectly calm.' not even a ripple will appear. After midday you will see them. "'Thank you,' he replied. "'I am Hiawatha. I have come in search of the body of my grandson, and to seek my revenge. Come near me that I may put a medal round your neck as a reward for your information.' The bird unsuspectingly came near, and received a white medal, which can be seen to this day. While bestowing the medal, he attempted slyly to wring the bird's head off, but it escaped him, with only a disturbance of the crown feathers of its head, which are rumpled backward. He had found out all he wanted to know, and then desired to conceal the knowledge obtained by killing his informant. He went to the sandy beach indicated, and transformed himself into an oak stump. He had not been there long before the lake became perfectly calm. Soon hundreds of monstrous serpents came crawling on the beach. One of the number was beautifully white. He was the prince. The others were red and yellow. The prince spoke to those about him as follows. "'I never saw that black stump standing there before. It may be Hiawatha. There is no knowing but that he may be somewhere about here. He has the power of an evil genius, and we should be on our guard against his wiles.' One of the large serpents immediately went and twisted himself around it, to the top, and pressed it very hard. The greatest pressure happened to be on his throat. He was just ready to cry out when the serpent let go. Eight of them went in succession and did the like, but always let go at the moment he was ready to cry out. "'It cannot be he,' they said. "'He is too great a weak heart for that.' They then coiled themselves in a circle about their prince." It was a long time before they fell asleep. When they did so, Hiawatha took his bow and arrows, and, cautiously stepping over the sleeping serpents till he came to the prince, drew up his arrow with the full strength of his arm and shot him in the left side. He then gave a -a sasaquan and ran off at full speed. The sound uttered by the snakes on seeing their prince mortally wounded was horrible. They cried, hiawatha has killed our prince go in chase of him meantime he ran over hill and valley to gain the interior of the country with all his strength and speed treading a mile at a step but his pursuers were also spirits and he could hear that something was approaching him fast he made for the highest mountain and climbed the highest tree on its summit when dreadful to behold the whole lower country was seen to be overflowed and the water was gaining rapidly on the highlands. He saw it reach to the foot of the mountains, and at length it came up to the foot of the tree, but there was no abatement. The flood rose steadily and perceptibly. He soon felt the lower part of his body to be immersed in it. He addressed the tree, Grandfather, stretch yourself. The tree did so, but the waters still rose. He repeated his request and was again obeyed, He asked a third time and was again obeyed, but the tree replied, It is the last time I cannot get any higher. The waters continued to rise till they reached up to his chin, at which point they stood and soon began to abate. Hope revived in his heart. He then cast his eyes around the illimitable expanse and spied a loon. Dive down, my brother, he said to him, and fetch up some earth so that I can make a new earth. The bird obeyed, but rose up to the surface a lifeless form. He then saw a muskrat. "'Dive,' said he, and if you succeed you may hereafter live either on land or water as you please, or I will give you a chain of beautiful little lakes, surrounded with rushes, to inhabit.' He dove down, but floated up senseless. He took the body and breathed in his nostrils, which restored him to life. "'Try again,' said he. The muskrat did so. He came up senseless a second time, but clutched a little earth in one of his paws, from which, together with the carcass of the dead loon, he created a new earth, as large as the former had been, with all living animals, fowls, and plants. As he was walking to survey the new earth, he heard someone singing. He went to the place and found a female spirit, in the disguise of an old woman, singing these words and crying at every pause Manao bo sho o dozi moon, o ki ma woon o nissa woon dread hiawatha in revenge for his grandson lost has killed the chief the king noko said he what is the matter matter said she where have you been that you have not heard how Hiawatha shot my son, the prince of serpents, in revenge for the loss of his grandson, and how the earth was overflowed and created anew. So I brought my son here, that he might kill and destroy the inhabitants as he did on the former earth. But she continued, casting a scrutinizing glance, Niao, and they go Hiawatha. Hub Ub 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 I am afraid you are Hiawatha!' He burst out into a laugh to quiet her fears. "'Ha, ha, ha, How can that be? Has not the old world perished and all that was in it? Impossible! Impossible!' "'But, Noko,' he continued, "'what do you intend doing with all that cedar cord on your back?' "'Why,' said she, "'I am fixing a snare for Hiawatha if he should be on this earth, "'and in the meantime I am looking for herbs to heal my son.' i am the only person that can do him any good he always gets better when i sing hiawatha niwi gwak kondamawa niwi kondamawa niwi it is hiawatha's dart i try my magic power to withdraw having found out by conversation with her all he wished he put her to death he then took off her skin and assuming this disguise took the cedar cord on his back, and limped away, singing her songs. He completely aped the gait and voice of the old woman. He was met by one who told him to make haste, that the prince was worse. At the lodge, limping and muttering, he took notice that they had his grandson's hide to hang over the door. "'Oh, dogs!' said he, "'the evil dogs!' He sat down near the door, and commenced sobbing like an aged woman." One observed, "'Why don't you attend the sick and not sit there making such a noise?' He took up the poker and laid it on them, mimicking the voice of the old woman. "'Dogs that you are! Why do you laugh at me? You know very well that I am so sorry that I am nearly out of my head.' With that he approached the prince, singing the songs of the old woman, without exciting any suspicion." He saw that his arrow had gone in about one-half its length. He pretended to make preparations for extracting it, but only made ready to finish his victim. And giving the dart a sudden thrust, he put a period to the prince's life. He performed this act with the power of a giant, bursting the old woman's skin, and at the same time rushing through the door, the serpents following him, hissing and crying out, PERFIDY, MURDER, VENGEANCE. It is Hiawatha!" He immediately transformed himself into a wolf, and ran over the plain with all his speed, aided by his father the west wind. When he got to the mountains he saw a badger. "'Brother,' said he, "'make a hole quick, for the serpents are after me!' The badger obeyed. They both went in, and the badger threw all the earth backward, so that it filled up the way behind. The serpents came to the badger's burrow, and decided to watch. "'We will starve him out,' said they. So they continued watching. Hiawatha told the badger to make an opening on the other side of the mountain, from which he could go out and hunt and bring meat in. Thus they lived some time. One day the badger came in his way and displeased him. He immediately put him to death and threw out his carcass, saying, "'I don't like you to be getting in my way so often.' After living in this confinement for some time, he decided to go out. He immediately did so, and after making the circuit of the mountain, came to the corpse of the prince, who had been deserted by the serpents, to pursue his destroyer. He went to work, and skinned him. He then drew on his skin, in which there were great virtues, took up his war-club, and set out for the place where he first went in the ground. He found the serpents still watching. When they saw the form of their dead prince advancing towards them, Fear and dread took hold of them. Some fled. Those who remained, Hiawatha killed. Those who fled went towards the south. Having accomplished the victory over the reptiles, Hiawatha returned to his former place of dwelling and married the arrow makers daughter. End of hiawatha. Recording by Jill